Welcome to the Poetry Questions TPQ20, where we sit down with your favorite authors to talk about passions, process, pitfalls, and poetry. My name is Chris Margolin. Let's expand the conversation. So yeah, thank you for uh, for being here on TPQ20. We always like to start off by kind of saying, you know, we know who you are, but our audience, some of them may be new to you. So if you were to kind of give your Maybe your bio that your publicist doesn't have. Ooh. Um, <laughs> who, uh, how would you introduce yourself? Oh, my goodness. That is such a difficult thing to do. Um, <laughs> I just had this conversation with my agent the other day, and she was just asking the projects, like what projects are on deck so I can be aware. And right. that's when I realized I do too much, child. So I'm going to try and condense it. I'm going to give you the abridged version of all the things <laughs> that I do. I am a writer first and foremost, and everything that I do is informed, inspired, and and from the belly of poetry. That means uh, long form. Uh, that means journalism. There's always a nod at poetry. So writer informed by poetry for sure. But I don't stick in one genre. So that, that poetry exists in YA novels, in children board books, in anthologies, in journalism, right? So writer, boom. Facilitator of space, for sure, you know, was a professor at uh, many higher education institutions in alternative prison programs, in actual lockup spaces, uh, detainment centers, uh, group homes for pregnant teen moms. Again, poetry was the center of that work. It allowed me to go into those spaces and teach. So educator, facilitator, boom. Artistic director, (laughs) <laughs> for Urban Word NYC, which came out of me being this facilitator and this teaching artist, the first poet in residence at Lincoln Center, which allows me to continue thinking about curation intergenerationally and also really centering my own voice because a lot of my work has has been focused on community. And uh, I forgot that sometimes you have to replenish the well. And finally, organizer. Yes, I organizer. I think that's a good one to hold on to because that allows me to say, yes, I'm the executive director of Just Media, which is a nonprofit focusing on on narration and storytelling as a a means of bearing witness and investigating uh, the criminal legal system. And also it brings in uh, my visionary work as an artist, a practitioner and a community member. Love it. I think that's an amazing, uh, an amazing bio. Uh, like, interesting. The the prison programs have always been a big interest to me. I've been this is my twentieth year teaching, and I I got really into uh, Mark Saltzman's program. He wrote a, a book called True No Books, like that. I think late nineties, early aughts, about you know trying to break into like a, a creative writing, you know, trying to find a place where he could he could host a creative writing program at a prison system, and mm. how troublingly awful it was that he couldn't find something that would open their doors mm. uh, to, to such a program. How have you have managed that part of, of your, of your world? Um, and have you found it, uh, I guess, how have you found, have you found it to be welcoming? When I was teaching in those spaces, uh, which was a while back. So now I'm doing mostly curation and programming to support people that are there. But when I was, the one that was going into the spaces, it was fine. It was, maybe it was just disorienting because I came 
into the spaces with, you know, basically being knighted by the government. You know, I had to get clearance to get into those spaces. And that was fine. It was what happened once I was in that kind of brought me pause. It was the the diminishment of their humanity and the degradation of them as people, young people specifically, and usually young people of color who were suffering from PTSD, you know, trauma, trauma-filled households. I found that to be the, the harder part because for some reason you had <laughs> them looking at, at the poetry as like, okay, this will be their therapy. To which I responded, no, 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 no. This is a writing exercise, right? This is, this is a, maybe it's a, you know, a, a moment of therapeutic measure where they get to see <laughs> and name it and, yeah. and, and, and call it by name. Like, okay, this has happened. Now I can take this to my therapist so we can really do that work, but this ain't therapy. <laughs> and so dealing with some spaces where they were like, they kind of diminished the power of poetry. And then they were just like, and then it'll be this mental health thing that they do. So it felt like, yeah, a little underhanded. It felt a little seedy in that way. But then there were the spaces where, you know, the teenage pregnant mothers and that space was literally built for me, right? They saw me perform and they said, can you come talk to our girls? And I just happened to walk in and it reminded me of prison. <laughs> I was like, oh, you, if they're locked in, they can't, nobody else can get in, right? And I recognized that a lot of it was to keep them safe. We had, you know, young girls who were there and pregnant by men three times their age. Um, so it was safety measures. But the, the reality is it, it doesn't matter why you do things like that. You just have to know that this is how it's going to resonate, right? And so um, how do we make sure, you know, we are responding to the impact rather than just, you know, hoping that the intention will do, you know, the, the heavy lifting. Is there a writer that you remember out of those programs from when you started that has always stuck with you? A writer that I remember from the young people? Uh-huh. Or from, there's several, I guess. There was one who was, she was a sex worker by day or a sex worker by night and a student by day. I remember her only because we were, not only because, but like she sticks out to me mostly because of her unapologetic femininity. And she used the poetry to, to find her voice without worry about our gaze. I thought that was really like brave and inspiring, right? Like as artists, I think that it's very, I think any artist can admit it's extremely hard to just create art without caring about who sees it. And to, to, to see that with a, a young person, I learned so much from that interaction. Who's another one? There's one that went on to publish her own book of poems, A Teenage Pregnant Mom from my Inwood um, days in Manhattan. She went to publish an entire book of poetry that really stuck out to me as well. So, I mean, I'm really lucky to have worked in all sectors using you know, poetry as a vehicle, but those, those two resonate for sure. Awesome. So you obviously write in different genres along the way. So who are those authors that kind of, what are those interdisciplinary influences that kind of feed their way into maybe, you know, into the different genres that you write? Are there, you know, are there great fiction writers that influence your, you know, your poetry? Are there, are there nonfiction writers that influence mm. There absolutely. I, I read across. There's no one genre that I'll read. Maybe one genre that I have a difficulty reading is like self-help. That might be the hardest one 
for me. <laughs> but I've actually like taken to like reading the four agreements, essentialism, the guide to Afro minimalists is one of my favorite. So like there are things that I found, but it's very few and far between. When I think of the fiction writers, I mean, I'm always going to turn to Alex Walker, Toni Morrison, Jasmine Ward. Those are pillars. Walter Mosley, stunning work. Some of the most fun, dangerous, and surprising turns on the page that I've witnessed. Tommy Orange. Whoa, what a beautiful, beautiful writer. That's not, wow. a, that's not a name. So that's, that last one's not a name that I know. Where should, where should I start? Tommy wrote, let me think, There, There. It's okay. a Native American novel, and it's so, it's, it, it takes place in the Bay Area. So, so good. Nafisa Thompson Spires, also an amazing writer, um, heads of Color Folks, a collection of stories. She did an uh, exceptional job. ZZ Packer, you know, drinking coffee elsewhere, I think it was. Yeah. bananas like there's just I, I have a plethora we should we should actually just talk book lists and <laughs> and how we're gonna how we're going to uh catch up on our, on our monthly book reading club oh man there's a yeah it's it's crazy as a since the poetry question is mainly a review site the amount of books that we get in on a, a regular basis and the amount that we can keep up with but just the amazing mm. thrill are just incredible and so actually that kind of leads to another, another question. You kind of brought it up at the beginning. It was saying, you know, you're a curator. When mm. it comes to curating anthologies, what is your process for really, you know, when you come up with that great idea, mm. what are you looking for and hoping for versus maybe what, it, what you find and how long it takes you to find it? What am I looking for and hoping for? Okay. Hmm. Anthologies are so... Whew. They're difficult, right? Like you think you're doing really amazing archive capsule work and you find out people might think of you as a gatekeeper. And so you <laughs> find yourself doing this dance where you're like, no, 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 everyone's welcome. Everyone's welcome. Everyone's welcome. But I have a deadline, right? <laughs> you're welcome. I have a deadline. You're welcome. It's the it's nastiest double Dutch sequence of all time. Let's go ahead and put that out there. So that said, I have created one of, obviously, in my heart, the most comprehensive collection of, of Black women voices within the last 10 years. I love the Haymarket Black Girl Magic Anthology. It is a teachable text. It is living work. It is timeless. And still, there weren't, we didn't get to include all of the voices of yes. those on the forefront. And you walk away feeling like, oh, if I just had another week, oh, if I just had, yeah, yeah. So I, I had to be okay with the deadline being just the marker. That's just the marker in time and really making myself push past exhaustion, <laughs> past fear, past ego yeah. to make sure we include as many different voices as possible. And that anthology has over 60 voices internationally so we were you know in that case we may not have gotten everyone and obviously i know we didn't but we, we as much as we could and left us you know space in the timeline yeah. to have discussions about what was happening when that book was made we created real a real literary capsule for the yeah. black woman voice and i'm extremely proud of it would i do it again <laughs> mm. You would, uh, you would encourage others to do it. Okay. 
Yeah, <laughs> that's a great way to do it. I would. I think like everybody needs to have a chance at at that painstaking work. Yeah. What does it mean to include everyone, right? And yeah. how do you have a conversation intergenerationally? How do you ha- have a conversation cross culturally? How do you have a conversation that is still responding to this this time sequence? <laughs> it's. As a middle school teacher, I teach seventh grade English, and as a middle school teacher, it's one of the books that gets stolen from my classroom the most, and it's one that yes! I, just, yep, I just keep putting it back on the shelf. And anytime it goes away, I just get another copy and put it right back on the mm, shelf. I'm um, going to send copies to your class. Don't you worry. <laughs> it's because it is one of those, you know, I talk to a lot of people about, you know, the, the disservice that some teachers do in the world of poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, so working with students, you know, poetry is not just an acrostic poem, you know, poem. Mm. And, you know, and it doesn't have to rhyme or if it does, it can rhyme with feeling. Mm. Um, and so there are some books that I always just kind of keep around and watch it filter in and out of my classroom. And <laughs> it's really cool to see without much pushing, you know, which students go where. And that is a book that definitely, uh, definitely flies off the shelf. Um, I love it. Yeah. In your career. What do you think have been kind of those pitfalls that you've come across? What have been those, those kind of hindrances, you know, whether it be imposter mm-hmm. syndrome or writer's block or mm-hmm. uh, somebody, you know, placing you in a box to write this because, you mm-hmm. know, you're this poet. What have you found are those pitfalls along the way? Mm-hmm. I don't want to forget to, I don't want to, I forgot to mention Jamila Woods and Adresa Simmons, my, my co-conspirators on that anthology my editors, my co-editors, what have I learned? I've learned that grace and gratitude are a must. So even when you make a mistake, you can go ahead and name the mistake. You can, you can put a name on it. You can provide accountability so that we don't continue to carry into this new world of literary mm, knowing. We don't carry that trauma that most of us have been trying to shed when we came to poetry in the first place. The familial silences around shame and harm, around making mistakes, around not feeling good enough, about, you know, being redeemable. That is the pitfall that I see. And I definitely played a part. There were moments where I was just like, I'm not working with this person ever again. They are, they're harmful. And then I started, you know, really investigating mass incarceration and the impact on me as my father's been in prison for the majority of my life. And I realized I was responding punitively. I was responding the way in which the country has taught me we respond to someone who may, you know, not necessarily commit a crime, but has done harm. Right. And poetry became a microcosm of this larger world. And I see a lot of witch hunting and, and not in the, the Trump way, but in the way that's like, <laughs> Are we going to call these people out and bring them in, right? Like, I'm with that witch hunt, right? I'm with the witch right. hunt, like, one, ain't nothing wrong with witches. Let's go ahead and put that out. That's not the point. The point is, there is something wrong with someone who is allowed to do harm because their art is formidable. There is something wrong with that. And we've learned that um, watching the comedic landscape, watching the musical landscape, watching you know, just the celebrity, the celebrity scope, we see it. And we also see it in our own worlds. What neighbor isn't, you know, uninvited, even though they've been known to be 
you know, dangerous or they drink too much. And, and once they drink that there's a problem that's caused and, and no one wants to really deal with that part. So they just ignore them. And instead of helping them, they'd say, stay away from this person instead of helping them. And I feel like we've done that in poetry. Um, yeah. And I can't, I can't pretend that I haven't been a part of that othering, right? right? That, that, that in attempts to keep myself safe, in attempts to, to make sure the spaces that I'm holding for other people are safe. I think that that's a missed opportunity in growth and reimagining who we can be as a community. Um, so that's my biggest, my biggest concern is that we've missed our mark on holding each other, even if we hold each other accountable, but holding each other warmly and in hopes of redeeming some kind of relationship. Do you think that some of that comes from a push sometimes since, since the poetry and writing world at large is, is so small? Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that some of that is a the want to uh, continue relevancy between projects? So, you know, what can people do in that space in between where their name is going to be at the forefront? Do you mm-hmm. think there's, you know, that plays any part into it? Or I guess, how do you stay relevant without kind of that pushback at times? Oh, I don't know what you mean. I'm sorry. You- oh, no, that's fine. I think in the kind of in the, in the microcosm of, of writing, everybody's uh-huh. kind of fighting for that, uh, that one spot. Um, you know, everybody wants the Ruth Lilly. Everybody wants mm-hmm. whatever, whatever those big awards are, or, or you know, even like you know, a, a publishing contract from Frontier or whatever it mm-hmm. is. Do you think that there that some some of us get caught up too much in that want to stay relevant, that it kind of forces others to kind of have those you know those Twitter wars that we see, or mm-hmm. that that. Yeah, the, those uh, those arguments back and forth that kind of push away our our writers versus you know lift up anybody. Yeah, wow! I never thought. Wow, I didn't. Whew, you got me with that one. I did not. <laughs> decent questions over here. <laughs> That's a great question, but also like a revelation, right? Because I'm never. I don't. All right, so one maybe. okay so there's that but also like i never thought oh people are dragging other people so that they can win an award Mm -hmm. in another realm that's fucking ridiculous wow (laughs) oh my god i'm just like whoa mind explosion right now my mind exploded and it's it's I don't know if this is recorded properly, but this is Cinco de Mayo. I ain't had one shot of tequila. I was waiting for this interview so I could be, you know, yes. together. <laughs> and now I feel like if I was drunk, I would be able to like really see the matrix. That's it's, real it's, shit. Especially because a lot well, of that us, makes me so sad. Oh, well, a lot of us come up with kind of that peer group too, you know? So we, you know, a lot of us started, you know, I'm 40. So I really started my poetry journey, at least watching, you know, the, the Def Jam poetry generation. <laughs> yeah. But then, you know, there's a, a really big, amazing group of like the 25 to 35 year old poets right now that are just yeah. kind of crushing everything out there. And it's, it is interesting to kind of watch, you know, the, the kind of almost like race cars going back and forth to see who can keep up with the other at times. <laughs> and it, it, is, is that yeah. what it looks like for you to watch them? Does it feel like you're watching a race for relevance? Yeah, it does. Oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. that's so I think icky. Oh. I think 
sense of that sometimes and that there is at times a race for relevance. Oh, listen, I, when, I, when I was t- coaching Slam, right, because I started in this world, in this world of poetry as an open micer who got the yep. Slam bug. I got bit by Slam, child. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't even know I signed up for a Slam. I <laughs> went to the New Eurekan and I just wanted to read a poem. And then I got to the second round and then that was it. But what I like after falling in love, out of love and in love again, I began to see the power of Poetry Slam and I was able to to recognize the nuance. Like this is only a watering hole. Mm -hmm. This is only a vehicle. This is one of many stages, but this ain't it. Right. Like just because you win the slam today doesn't mean you win the slam tomorrow. And so I was mindful with my my poets that I was coaching to really drill that in like yeah so what like someone anyone can win a slam but is your poem memorable is your art timeless and so i would instead of even thinking of this question even more fully and being sad about the reality of what you're saying i would ask anyone listening the audrey lord question are you doing your work because the work supersedes any shining moment I like that answer a lot, especially Actually, the work yeah. supersedes every shining moment. Yeah. Actually, that's fine. That's great. But that's still just, you know, the ego. Where are your work huh? going? Who are you talking to? Who are you mm-hmm. saving? Have you even saved yourself? Because right. if we're honest, how many poets that we know have such a hard time with believing they are worthy? I can go ahead and say at least one on this call. <laughs> speaking for myself, right? So it's never ending. The well will yeah. never be filled. There is no award you can win. There is no score you can get. If you don't already believe that your poems are necessary because you're you, it's necessary because your voice is necessary, then there's nothing that you will ever win that will make you feel whole. Ah, I love that. I think that's a good spot to kind of shift toward the end here. What okay. uh, we always like to end by kind of asking, you know, what's what's coming out from you that we can kind of look for, or is there <laughs> out that you think we should absolutely run to the bookstores to grab? Ooh, I have both. What? Sweet I'm an overachiever. <laughs> so I have my newest YA novel out, Vinyl Moon. It is a part of the Chlorine Sky universe. It is a hybrid poetry, novel in verse, poetry, poems, contrapuntals, text messages, epistles. All of it exists in this uh, collection. So that's Vinyl Moon. Boom. And that's in the bookstores. But also, I released my first ever booklet poem called I, I, yeah, I Remember Death by Its Proximity to What I Love. It came out with Haymarket. And that is a poem that I wrote. It took me a year to really dive into, you know, what does mass incarceration mean to me? How is it affected? What do I see? Who do I see? And it is the, it's what I was able to pull together after interviewing over a dozen re-entry citizens, abolitionists, you know, folks impacted by prison. I interviewed for over a year. And these, and the poem is, is all of that meat, all of that sustenance that didn't fit in those those conversations and those essays that will be coming out in 2023 november so i remember death is out now and vinyl moon is out now and of course woke and woke baby is available they're both listed on banned book lists because um 
Yeah, I was. I read somewhere. Thank you. I didn't realize it was a thing. It was a good thing because I I received death threats, but it is a good thing. Right. And I reckon that if those are the books that they are responding to, then that means I'm hitting close to home because if we allow the children to know the truth, then they won't perpetuate the lies, right? When they're in positions of power, when this world is theirs and truly theirs and they are running policies, they're not going to perpetuate the obvious lies that they've been told that white superiority is a thing that marginalized voices require folks to remain, uh, folks to remain oppressed. And what I'm working on, Uh, I'm currently in residency at um, the writer's block residency, uh, what is it called? Writing Downtown in Vegas <laughs> on top of the Writer's Block bookstore. That's it. That's so, cool. <laughs> so I'm finished. I just turned in yesterday the final script for Chlorine Sky as a stage play, which will go live at Steppenwolf Theater in February 2023. And wow. I'm also finished. Uh, that. That's amazing. Thank That's you. So I'm so scared. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's, it doesn't feel real. You know what I mean? You're like, I want to be the one to write the poems and then I want to be the one to write the book and then I want to be the one to write the ad- adaptation for plays. And now I'm like, I'm really tired and I just need two seconds. But it's all good. I'm going to the desert tomorrow. I'm going to finish the next piece I'm working on, which is about uh, the history of lynching alongside four amazing artists as well as a reimagination, a reimagining, re- reimagining of the Buffalo Soldiers. through poetry, and that is alongside the Colorado Museum. And finally, I just turned in my final draft of my full collection of poems out with Norton next February called Chrome Valley. So I have a lot. You really do need need a trip somewhere to relax for a minute. uh, Thank you. you. uh, We're not slowing down at all, are you? (laughs) I'm just like, do it now. Yeah, there you go. Well, have a Thank you so much for hanging out with me today on TPQ20. This was such a wonderful conversation. Uh, I truly appreciate you and all you do for this world with your words. Um, Thank you you so much and have a wonderful rest of the evening. Thank you for everything you do. Uh, Thank you for your work on the front lines with our young people. I look forward to sending you a box of books that get lost in the sauce. And um, shout out to you and and the Def Jam era. Right on. (laughs) Thank thank you. (laughs) Have a great night. Good night. Thank you for listening to the Poetry Questions TPQ20. Please like, rate, review, and subscribe. See you next week.